Good morning, everybody. Uh, We have two readings this morning. It's actually quite a lengthy reading, um, so bear with me. We are going to be starting in James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Then we're going to move to Isaiah and read from chapter 3 right through to um, chapter 4, verse 6. So starting in James, chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the last day of the slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And now to Isaiah, starting at chapter 3, verse 1. See now, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and all supplies of water, the hero and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counsellor, skilled craftsman and clever enchanter. I will make mere youths their officials. Children will rule over them. People will oppress each other, man against man, neighbour against neighbour. The young will rise up against the old, the nobody against the honoured. A man will seize one of his brothers in his father's house and say, You have a cloak. You be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. But in that day he will cry out, I have no remedy. I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of the people. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces terrifies, uh, sorry, testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked. Disaster upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. Youths oppress my people. Women rule over them. My people, your guides lead you astray. They turn you from the path. The Lord takes his place in court. He rises to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? Declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The Lord says, The women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, strutting along with swaying hips, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. Therefore the Lord will bring sores on the heads of the women of Zion. The Lord will make their sculpts bald. In that day the Lord will snatch away their finery, the bangles and headbands and crescent necklaces, the earrings and bracelets and veils, the headdresses and anklets and sashes, the perfume bottles and charms, the signet rings and nose rings, the fine robes and the capes and cloaks and purses and mirrors 
and the linen garments and tiaras and shawls. Instead of fragrance, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-dressed hair, baldness. Instead of fine clothing, sackcloth. Instead of beauty, branding. Your men will fall by the sword, your warriors in battle. The gates of Zion will lament and mourn, destitute. She will sit on the ground. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, We will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. Thanks for that, Trudy. Uh, Good morning, everyone. My name's Mark. If we haven't met, it's great to be with you this morning. As a church, our our normal habit with sermons is to to choose a book of the Bible and to start at the beginning, to, to preach through it chapter by chapter, uh, finish it, move on to the next book, and, and gradually go through the whole Bible. Um, we mix it up sometimes, but that, that's essentially what we try to do uh, each week, because it's letting God's Word set the agenda. It's, it's not just choosing a passage that we want to read each week. It's, it's actually letting God set the agenda for what we talk about each week. Uh, and it means that some weeks we, we get some really bright, cheery, positive, uplifting, feel-good passages. Uh, uh, but then there are other weeks where we confront difficult topics like this morning, where, where we're looking at a passage that is very much focused on judgment. Uh, and God's judgment, I think, is it's something we can really struggle with. Uh, every time I think of God's judgment, my, my thought goes to friends and family members of mine who are lovely, kind, caring people, but um, they, they don't go to church, they don't, they don't follow Jesus. And it goes against my natural instincts to think that God would want to judge them. Uh, judgment is something that Christians or churches um, can often tend to downplay or even just completely deny. And, and the reason is that it's uncomfortable. Judgment is an uncomfortable thing. But would you want to live in a world without judgment? Would you want to live in a world where there was no judgment? See, we, we all have a sense of justice, don't we? Uh, we all want to see crime punished. We all want to see evil brought to justice. We, we want evil that's done particularly against us and particularly against our loved ones dealt with in the right way. We, we want to see justice happen. Uh, and as we unpack Isaiah chapters 3 and 4, we're going to be thinking about the reality, the character, and also the beauty of God's judgment. Um, so firstly, the reality of God's judgment. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time in our Isaiah series, you'd probably feel like you've been thrown into a bit of a deep ocean with that, with that Bible reading. Um, Isaiah is a prophet who is basically declaring God's message of judgment 
against the unfaithful city of Jerusalem. So a city that was supposed to be faithful to God, but it, but it had turned very unfaithful. Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 3, uh, we see Isaiah and God describing what this judgment is going to look like when the Babylonian army surrounds the city of Jerusalem. Uh, we see that the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem all supplies of food and all supplies of water. And it won't just be food and water that God takes from them. We, we read in the next couple of verses, God is going to take from Jerusalem heroes and warriors, judges and prophets, captains, counselors, craftsmen, clever enchanters. He, he's going to take away all their leaders. And without their leaders, the social order of the city is going to completely break down. We see in the next couple of verses, God says, I will make youths their officials. Children will rule over them. People will oppress each other. The young will rise up against the old. Uh, So in other words, the the city will be in complete chaos. And then eventually the final defeat is going to come. We, We read that your men will fall by the sword, your warriors in battle. The gates of Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, will lament and mourn destitute she will sit on the ground it's an awful scene isn't it it's it's horrible and and sadly that's exactly how it all comes to pass for jerusalem Uh, so about a century after isaiah wrote down these words the the babylonian army lays siege to jerusalem they deport all of the leaders and all the skilled workers and eventually they come back and they they destroy the rest of the city Uh, Lots of people get killed, lots more people are are taken into exile, Uh, and we see that God's judgment was a grave reality back then. God judged just as he said he would. And God's judgment is still a reality today. In fact, we're we're warned in the New Testament book of Hebrews of an even greater judgment to come. Uh, People are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Uh, So God's judgment, it's, it's not just uncomfortable, it's personal. Everyone is going to die and give account to God for their lives. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? And so so we need to understand the character of God's judgment as we think about it. Why is he bringing judgment on his people? Uh, Well, in Isaiah's day, we we see that God is bringing judgment because uh, the people's words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. Uh, So the people of Jerusalem, they've They've put themselves against God. They've defied his glorious presence. And this really takes us right to the heart of why the Bible takes sin so seriously. Sin isn't just being a little bit cheeky. Sin isn't just making a little mistake here and there. It's people standing in defiance against the Lord. Now imagine being a guest at King Charles's coronation the other week and, and turning your back on him as he walked in, just, just turning your back on the king as he walked in, refusing to bow down to him, yelling abuse at him as he, as he puts his crown on. Uh, it, it would be unthinkable, wouldn't it, given the occasion, give, given who it is that we're defying. Well, imagine standing in the presence of the God who created the whole universe. The God who is worthy of all praise and all honor from everyone, everywhere. The God who is Lord, not just over England, but but over everything. Standing in the presence of this God and defying him. Refusing to give him what is rightfully his. 
it's right for God to judge anyone who stands in defiance against him. And in Isaiah chapter 3, which we we just read this morning, we're, we're told of two particular groups who God is going to judge. Uh, The first group are those in positions of leadership. Now, we're told the Lord takes his place in court. He rises to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. Uh, So God is entering his courtroom. God is entering the courtroom, preparing to, to present his case, bringing judgment against the leaders of his people. And, and he tells them this, he says, it's you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. These leaders have been oppressing and exploiting the poor and the powerless in that society. Um, right throughout the Bible, we, we, we see that God has a deep concern for the poor. Uh, we saw it in our first reading that, that Trudy brought us from the book of James, where God promises to judge the rich people who are exploiting the poor by not paying them their wages. And here in Isaiah, God will judge these leaders who oppress the poor and powerless. Um, secondly, he, he will judge the rich women of Jerusalem. And I, I want us to be clear on what, what this passage as a whole is and isn't saying about women. Uh, God, God has told his people back in verse 12, youths oppress my people, women rule over them. The implication being that this is a, this is a bad thing, this, is, this isn't a good situation. Uh, which, at face value, doesn't, doesn't sound very fair on women, but in reality, it's not a cheap shot at women here. It's, it's God rebuking the men of the city. Uh, throughout the Bible, we, we see uh, a number of instances where women are, are in positions of, of leadership and honor. Um, but the consistent pattern is that God expects men uh, to take the lead, and, and particularly men who are in key roles like the, the king and, and the high priest, those, those sorts of roles. And not just that, but to do so in a way that, that honors and, and serves and provides for the, the men and the women and the children who are under their leadership. And so the fact that teenagers and, and women are, are having to do the heavy lifting in, in Jerusalem during this time of crisis is a sign that the men who are supposed to lead have failed to do so. But then we get to verse 16, and it's clear that there are women who have done the wrong thing as well. It's not, it's not just the men. Now, the Lord says, the women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, strutting along with swaying hips, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. Uh, Now, God isn't anti-women. He's not anti-rich people. He's not anti-jewelry. Most likely in the context here, these women are the wives of the corrupt leaders who Isaiah has been talking about in the verses leading up to it. So they're they're strutting around with their fancy jewelry that they've bought from exploiting the poor people in that society. And verse 24 gives us a, a really confronting picture of how their wealth and their beauty is going to be stripped away and replaced with death and exile. Uh, instead of fragrance, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. 
Instead of well-dressed hair, baldness. Instead of fine clothing, sackcloth. Instead of beauty, branding. It's going to be a time of misery and a time of disgrace for these women. Uh, Your men will fall by the sword, God says. Your warriors in battle. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, we'll eat our own food, we'll provide our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. It's a horrible picture all round of, of evil being judged, the, the men being slaughtered, the, the women being left in disgrace. And so what are, what are we supposed to do with this? What are, what are we supposed to do with this really horrible picture of judgment on these people? Um, well, a couple of things. A passage like this, it challenges us to share God's heart for the poor and powerless. Uh, it challenges me to, to search my life for ways that I might be contributing to or, or benefiting from oppression and, and exploitation of those less fortunate. Uh, we're blessed in so many ways in Australia to, to live in a democracy where we're protected from so many of the, the power abuses that other societies today and, and throughout history have endured. Um, but we still have struggles. Uh, gambling addiction ruins thousands of lives and, and tears families apart while the gambling industry pulls in billions of dollars each year. Uh, the stories and the statistics about domestic violence and abuse are, are just awful. We don't live in a world that has solved this problem. And so do I have a heart for the poor and powerless? Am I, am I someone they can depend on? Am I someone the poor and powerless can depend on? That, that's going to look different for all of us at different stages of life and diff- different circles that we're in. Um, for our teenagers here, just as an example, um, as, you, as you go to school each day, that there are probably people at your school who are, who are bullied and mistreated each day. And, and as they go to school, are, are they thinking to themselves, you know, at least I know Elliot's not going to bully me. At least I know that, that Noah is going to, to stand up for me. Do they, do they know that? Isaiah 3 not only challenges us to, to share God's heart for the poor and powerless, it, it teaches us to hate what God hates. Just imagine for a moment being one of those, those poor and powerless people in Jerusalem. You've, you've been oppressed and exploited by the rich and powerful. They're buying expensive clothing that they don't even need while, while you can't even feed your family. They're rubbing your face in the ground day after day and, they, and they're getting away with it and it just looks like they're going to keep getting away with it forever and ever. You long for justice to be done, don't you? You, you want justice to be done. Now, we've been partnering with a, a mission partner called Maggie Cruz, working with CMS in Cambodia, and she's finishing up her, her work there at the moment. Um, but the, what she's been doing over there is helping to provide rescue and, and rehabilitation for young girls over there who have been sold into sex slavery, which is just, it's just an, an awful thing to comprehend, isn't it? It's, it's hard to imagine something more evil uh, than that industry. How can we hear about something like that and not long for justice to be done, to, to not cry out for, for justice to be done for such a great evil? God hates oppression. God hates injustice. 
we should hate it as well. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, and you can really strongly identify with the crushed, poor and powerless people of Judah. Uh, maybe you've, you've experienced abuse or injustice or oppression in your life. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing it still today. Maybe, maybe you know people who are in the depths of it. Well, take comfort in knowing that justice will be done. Justice will be done. God's justice is, is good and it's right. God is the true judge of what is right and what is wrong. And he promises that all evil and all oppression and all abuse will one day be brought to justice. Now that's, a, that's a comforting thought on so many levels, but it's also, it's also quite, a, quite a confronting thought, isn't it? Because we all know that if there's a God who is Lord over everything, a God who lays claim to everything in the world, everything in our hearts, everything in our lives, well, we've all defied him, haven't we? We've all defied this God in some way. We've deprived him of the honor that's rightfully his, the obedience that's rightfully his. God's judgment is completely right. It's right for him to judge. It would be unjust of him not to judge. But what does it mean for us if God is going to judge every act or every thought or every word of defiance against him? Well, Isaiah has shown us the reality of God's judgment. He's shown us the character of God's judgment. And finally, he shows us the beauty of God's judgment. Uh, Because judgment is ultimately how God is going to bring renewal and restoration. Uh, Throughout the last couple of chapters, as Isaiah has been declaring God's coming judgment, he's, he's been constantly referring to a day that's coming. In that day, this judgment will happen. In that day, this judgment will happen. Uh, but then we get to chapter 4, verse 2, and we're told, in that day, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. In other words, God's judgment is going to achieve something fruitful, something beautiful is going to come of it. Uh, chapter 4, verse 3, those who are left in, in Zion or, or who remain in Jerusalem, they will be called holy. God's judgment is going to cleanse the people of their guilt. Even the, the women of Zion, who, who we've just heard about, who have been abusing and oppressing the poor, the Lord will wash away their filth. He's going to cleanse the bloodstains of the city of Jerusalem through judgment. And we're left with this final scene of, of the Lord creating over, over all of Mount Zion, so over all of Jerusalem, over all who assemble there, a cloud of smoke by day and a flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory of God will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm. Uh, it's really it's the same imagery as when God uh, rescued his people years and years ago, out of the land of Egypt. Uh, He was with them. He guided them. 
Except here, the, the picture that Isaiah gives us, it's permanent. God's presence with them is unending. He'll be their shelter and their refuge forever. There's going to be no harm for God's people on that day. That's a beautiful picture of what God's judgment is going to achieve. The only problem is that it doesn't quite seem to line up historically with what happened in Jerusalem. Uh, So all of the judgment that we read about in chapter 3 happened. There was a a siege, a mass deportation, a a slaughter, um, an exile. But what was left over afterwards didn't look anything like what we see described in chapter 4. And that's because chapter 4 here is pointing to another outpouring of God's judgment. One that would achieve this cleansing once for all. Uh, We we saw just earlier in the book of Hebrews about how all people are destined to to die once and to face God's judgment. Uh, We're then told that in the same way Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And so in other words, God's judgment on human sin was poured out on Jesus. On the cross, Jesus was judged in our place. He bore our sin on himself. None of us would be able to stand under God's judgment. We've all defied God in some way in our hearts and in our lives. We've chosen to to live with ourselves at the center instead of God. And if God is just, then that defiance needs to be dealt with. We all want to see justice done in the world. We, We hate the idea of seeing injustice go unpunished. But at the end of the day, we're not the true judges of what true justice looks like. The God who formed the universe and made each one of us. He's the true judge. And if God is going to to bring about justice, it it means that our defiance against his glorious presence must be dealt with. Judgment is needed. But in God's great mercy, Jesus has taken that judgment in our place so that we can be declared not guilty, so that we can have the hope of eternal life part of the gathered group of people who God will dwell with forever. And this is the beauty of God's judgment. It's the beauty of God's judgment, that God in his gracious mercy has poured it out on his son, so that if we trust in Jesus, we can be certain that his death has achieved for us the cleansing that we so desperately need. Uh, It was a pretty, pretty heavy passage that one, there was a, a, lot of, a lot of pretty hard things to read, but there was, there was a ray of hope in there in chapter 3, verse 10 of Isaiah, where Isaiah has this brief message of hope. Tell the righteous, it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. And if your trust is in Jesus, it will be well for you. Because we enjoy the fruits, not of our own deeds, but of Jesus' perfect life and Jesus' perfect finished work on the cross. He was judged so that we could be saved. It shows us the loving heart of God, doesn't it? 
He's a, a just God who will bring a right judgment on all injustice. The judgment that we all deep down want to see when we, when we see all the injustice in the world around us. And yet in his loving mercy, he's provided a way for us to be spared the horrors of facing that judgment ourselves. And that's awesome news. Let's pray. Our just and loving God, we thank you that no injustice will go unresolved. We thank you that every defiance against your glorious presence will be dealt with. And that all oppression and all exploitation will be dealt with. And we praise you that Jesus has faced that judgment so that we don't have to. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to live in light of the reality of your judgment. The perfect justice that lies at the heart of your judgment and the beautiful restoration and the renewal that your judgment has secured for us through Jesus. Amen.